Hello and welcome to episode two of Trailer Talk. Today we have yet another wonderful guest with us, someone myself and Buffy know personally as they were our instructor at Vancouver Film School. You may recognize their work from blockbuster films such as iRobot, Are We There Yet, Just Friends, The Butterfly Effect, and many, many more. So please welcome Stan Edmonds. <laughs> Hi Stan, how are you? Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I'm great. I'm sitting here with two of my favorite alumni, and I'm thrilled <laughs> to be <stop>. here. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Blush and Stuff. It's really fun to be able to communicate with you post-grad and be a few years in the industry. Mm-hmm. And yeah, having you know us since baby makeup artists. Yeah, moved from <laughs> well, our hometowns to Vancouver. <laughs> so it's a very special connection. <laughs> so. It is indeed. It is indeed. I keep hearing really good things about you too. By the way, you know, you hear snippets. Oh, that's you know, good. I, kind of <laughs> I got my ear. I hear great things about you too, which is wonderful. That's good to know. Yeah. Well, I think Vancouver Film School and yourself and loads of other instructors prepared us very well. Definitely. So definitely. It helps a lot. The education. So good thank to you. hear. That's good to hear. Um, so I guess we'll start off with an easy one here. Uh, how did you discover your passion for makeup? That's a really interesting way to phrase it, discover your passion in it, because I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, we don't, like some people know exactly what they want to do and they do it, and not everybody does. I have a lot a lot of interests and always had, but uh, as far as makeup, it was kind of a discovery. I think it all started with a, a misspent childhood of watching too much television and uh, watching a whole lot of movies and just having that love of movies. You got to remember, like, I mean, I grew up in the 60s and, uh, you know, when television was only starting to become color, I know it sounds <laughs> crazy, but I'm, I'm trying to make myself sound older than I am, but uh, <laughs> movies as well were, were a whole different ball game at that time. And when I suddenly saw on TV, but mostly in films, uh, transformations, like suddenly you would see an actor, you know, and they're bald and how did they do that? Did they shave their head or they're older or, or or they're this fantastical character of a larger nose, whatever it was, it was some kind of magic to me. It enhanced the character, which enhanced the story. And I think um, for me, the big turning point for really discovering it as a passion was the original Planet of the Apes. Nice, and, you know, I, classic. You know, I talk about that because uh, there's a lot of folks of, of my generation that were inspired by that same series of movies uh, in the same way. I mean, I would go home literally and, and I would buy silly putty. I don't know if you can make silly putty. This is like little sculptable putty that you could like it bounced in it. It, it would you put it on a comic book and peel it off, and you would have an imprint of the picture. It was just this crazy novelty kind of thing. And I was trying to sculpt an ape face out of silly putty, but of course it wouldn't stick to your face. And, and I remember going in actually into to my mother's uh, bathroom cabinet and finding this tube of concealer, like a, a concealer's flesh-colored stick. And then trying to sort of sculpt with that, but it was like you know just a big melted mess and whatnot, and just just this like I had this drive to try to emulate what I saw in the movies, but who knew anything about these materials? Or you know, when I was quite young, I was probably about ten years old when I was starting to play with that stuff. It was just a really big unknown. My my first love was actually acting, and I did a lot of plays in high school, and then I went to university, and I was in a theater program, and that's really where I started to learn a little bit of serious makeup. We'd had a half day every week where we'd learn a little bit of theatrical makeup. So really that's when the passion suddenly got some knowledge and started to take off. And then I guess seeing that on stage as well and having that experience just kind of made the films seem quite a lot closer. No, absolutely. You know, you suddenly realize that combination of makeup and acting. Mm -hmm. And those were like two interests of mine. And of course, they totally go together. Our work as makeup artists requires uh, the actor um, and the actor's character performance. Certainly the the visual aspects are are enhanced. It's very helpful uh, to a lot of actors who like to physicalize their roles. Uh, So, I mean, seeing that all come together and also still doing some acting myself and learning how to do makeup, uh, makeup won out of those two passions. And I'm, I'm kind of glad it did. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed that when I was in high school or even when I started university. But when I started doing theatrical makeup and learning a little bit and reading the three books, only three that existed at that yeah. point about it, uh, and practicing more and more, uh, all the doors opened that way. My passion was led towards makeup. 
Yeah, and I think you're so right. The two really do go hand in hand and understanding the actor and what they're going through in their process and then knowing what you can bring as an artist and just that collaboration I think is so fulfilling if you both understand each other. So that's really amazing you had both those two creative pathways that kind of fuse together and then make There's a lot of makeup artists I've met over the years who also have an acting background. It's kind of a common thing, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, and, and then they sort of, you know, took took that road where perhaps there was more employment in makeup than in acting. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be honest, yeah, I, I had an agent from the age of 11 to like 17 and I regularly went for auditions and then just was like, yeah, I really like art, but I don't know. And then just kind of fell into makeup that way. So I am one of those statistics too, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, exactly. But, but it's a good thing, really, you know. And, and it's funny, acting is one of those things you can kind of always sort of do and in a way it's kind of good to pursue something like acting when it's not your only desperate passion mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of actors i've worked with the, some of the more successful ones it wasn't their passion they kind of fell into acting because they had opportunities mm-hmm. um and i sort of feel sorry for a lot of actors that, that i you know friends of mine growing up and whatnot who that was their passion but it's like a real struggle to establish and maintain a career it's not an easy field Mm-hmm. Not at all. I have a lot of respect for people that follow that pathway with complete gumption and have yes. stride. I, yeah, a lot. I, I couldn't do it, so I admire the ones that can. You mentioned that there was like three books that is how you kind of learnt makeup and furthered your makeup skill. Obviously, there was makeup artists, but it wasn't such a big industry. Can you think of any off the top of your head that kind of that you learnt from, even just from afar? You know, when you're first getting excited about makeup, and especially if you're, you're younger, you don't really understand anything but the industry. You just understand there's this thing that's, you know, having this transformative effect and who's making these apes. And there'd be like magazine articles about Planet of the Apes and John Chambers. And, you know, these names would kind of stick in your mind, but it was like, okay, but how are they doing this? Mm. And what is this involved? It was a big mystery. Now everything is, you know, the making of on DVDs and behind the scenes programs and, I remember working, I worked with the late, great Charlton Heston, and he thought that was one of the worst things that happened to the film industry, was the fact that we started giving away all of our magic. We started clipping on behind the scenes and how they do everything, which suddenly diminishes the impact that a lot of uh, programs had on audiences. And I I have to say, I kind kind of agree with that. And people take it for granted, or they think they know everything, even though not everything's revealed but there was nothing like that so it was really these three books would be you know stage makeup by richard corson and then there was a really old book by vincent kehoe uh which had older stage and film and uh, television techniques and whatnot and by the time i got my hands on these books uh the stage makeup book is still great but the other ones were kind of outdated mm. you know black and white pictures in a makeup book <laughs> i mean that's that this, you know that's, that's no good but I mean, you would take these little scraps of information. And then as I started to watch more films, I'm watching the credits all the time to see these names of these makeup artists because there wasn't a gazillion makeup artists uh, certainly doing mainstream studio features. You would actually see some of the same names. Mm. I'll tell you, it's a funny story. My father used to tell me when he watched movies, and we're talking about back in the 40s or 50s when he was growing up, for some reason he was always taking note of the makeup artist credit. And I'm like, well, that's kind of strange. And so he knew Wally Westmore, Ben Nye, and <laughs> oh, all these really? different names. And, of course, years go by because uh, these were the guys that ran studio departments in those mm-hmm. days. And uh, when I started at Vancouver Film School about 14 years ago now, and I came there, and Dana Nye, who's the uh, son of Ben Nye Sr., was uh, heading up the company, and he called me one day out of the blue and I'd literally been thinking of him in that day. Like we've had this really interesting sort of almost psychic connection before we met uh, from the days that my dad was watching his father's screen credit to the day that uh, he called on the exact time I was thinking about him. And we've been good friends ever since. Wow. That's pretty cool how stuff like that works out and interesting that your dad just intuitively was taking note of that. He almost knew. He knew. He was, this is going to be useful later. <laughs> it's funny how that works. It mm-hmm. is. Um, so... You mentioned Vancouver Film School, and as we know that me and Buffy went there, and you're currently an instructor of 14 years, but actual makeup schools are relatively new. So how have makeup schools changed the path to entering the industry? 
Well, makeup schools in their current form did not exist really until sometime in the mid-late 90s because, mm-hmm. as, as you know, uh, up until 1970, there was apprenticeship programs at the studios or uh, across the pond, as they say. Um, uh, there was the, the five-year apprenticeships of BBC and places like that, and great training. But uh, makeup schools as we know them now didn't exist when I was sort of starting at all this. And I have to say that, you know, uh, being a department head one now for my 14th year, makeup schools are a double-edged sword. I was not a fan of makeup schools before becoming involved in one. Mm. Because in my... 30 years of working on set with many other makeup artists and with many assistants, uh, people who went to makeup schools didn't seem to learn a whole lot uh, of practical information that, you know, we needed people and assistants to, to be able to do. So I was, uh, I had kind of a bad impression of that. I would get invited once in a while to speak at makeup schools and things like that, sort of see what they're doing. Myself and most people from my generation were self-taught. Mm-hmm. And then, if you were fortunate enough, you would actually be working with somebody in almost an apprenticeship kind of way. And if you could get that experience, that's what really sort of uh, moved it along. But you were basically having to be mostly self-taught simply by practicing what you're what you're doing. But as far as makeup schools, um, it's kind of essential today. If you want to work in film and television, it's fast-tracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to learn, for example, in our program, what it took me uh, several maybe five years to learn. And so you're, you're sort of going to compress that time by going to a makeup school for sure. And you want the benefit of learning from people who are actually from the industry, mm-hmm. who have experience. Mm-hmm. The one thing that uh, I hope people do is research because I tell everybody to do that. I mean, don't just talk to us, talk to everybody. Makeup schools, there's no two alike. They all have different philosophies. They might have different budgets and I have to say that I think the majority of makeup schools even still are really kind of mediocre to poor. There's very few good ones and we were fortunate enough that uh, we came across Vancouver Film School supported us and because we said we're not really interested in kind of being involved unless you let us build a program that is really relevant to the industry and it's not going to be cheap. It's an expensive sort of uh, uh, education for a school to do right and so I think that all of these things, the experienced instructors, and uh, that's going to give you an advantage. And oftentimes in many cities, if you're going to have union entrance, it's kind of a requirement that you've gone to an accredited makeup mm-hmm. school. Yes. And there's a lot of schools that, that, that aren't. You need to really know what you're doing when you're sort of pursuing that if you're researching makeup schools. But, I mean, there are good ones and, and, and all over the world. But I'm always a little surprised that people don't do quite enough research. Even the people that come to our school really didn't maybe do as much research as they should have. Mm-hmm. I think they feel okay about where they went. But it's an important thing. It's a big investment these days, as all education is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think definitely um, as an international student, when I was researching where to go to school, Vancouver Film School came up for me so many times and had so many pros because of the wide range in which it covered and the intensity of that year mm-hmm. and I'm sure the same for you Buffy that starting Vancouver Film School it was probably the most intensive educational year of my yeah it's life definitely jam-packed for sure it's very busy but at the same time like it's you cover so much like and I knew going into makeup I knew I wanted to work in film I didn't I wasn't so interested in fashion and that kind of those kinds of pathways so for me I VFS ended up being perfect because they do like the mini film shoot so you get to actually experience a film set I think that it's very thorough it really was the best education I felt that I could get before entering the industry Mm -hmm. and that gives you the portfolio of such a wide basis and when I was interviewing for my position at the BBC that's something they complimented me on is how much I'd done in makeup school it's good. Yeah, it's an intensive thing, and it's it's good that it's. Uh, I mean, it's it, it is more than a year packed into one year. Yeah. And um, that you know it, it means there's a certain pace to the program, and and uh, you know that's not always easy for uh, some students to kind of keep up with. Uh, but there's a lot of time they have personally to practice, and really that's what it comes down to. You know, as as you know, doing it over and over and over uh, is going to make you better and better and better. Definitely, and I think that's. Um, also really interesting to hear that because 
being from a self-taught generation, you really had to want to be in makeup and want to be in the film industry because that, I, I do think, um, makes you have to have extra drive. When I started out uh, in Alberta, there was not much happening. It was like three professional makeup artists. Mm -hmm. And and again, I was learning all this sort of stuff my own. And it really was just like, I, I want to do this. I didn't know if I'd be able to or how it would go. And uh, the accidental secret that I learned off the top was to be photographing all my makeups, putting it in a scrapbook. I didn't realize I was creating what's <laughs> called the portfolio but I was just using that to sort of you know if I would meet producers or things like that trying to get interviews and they would see the, the photographs of the work I did and suddenly their whole attitude would change and they would take you seriously and they realize what you could do and, and that really becomes it's still the key it's what separates all makeup artists you know one from another is is their books mm -hmm. uh, once you establish into the industry you might not be using that book you have credits that you've amassed and whatnot but really, that was um, that was a huge boon. I started with a bunch of my friends from university, making like writing, acting, and, and directing these little shows at local cable stations. <laughs> and we would do that just because we had this drive to do that. We produced our own plays. We had a theater company after university, and we would literally break even. We'd pay for these productions, rent the theater. We would you know build the sets, do all those things, and not make any money. But we break even. We just like had this drive to do that, which. I think is important and about half of this group that I was with went on to become full-time professionals in the industry. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely an industry where you have to want it. You have to be willing to chase it. Um, we'll switch. Well, and, and there's no, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say that, yeah, there's no one way to do it. Mm -hmm. you, I'm sure that you've talked to a lot of folks and everybody has a different story about what Definitely. they had to do or how long yeah. it took or how they got into the industry. Yeah, I think it's one of my favorite questions when starting to work with new people or getting to know new artists is uh, like, how, how did you get to be here? Like, what was your story? What did you do beforehand? Because they're all different. That's something that I do really like about film. Switching gears a little bit, um, earlier this week, we did our episode on rom-coms. So we each picked a rom-com and we kind of broke it down and talked about the makeup and all that. Uh, you obviously worked on 2005's Just Friends. That film has so many funny moments that are just enhanced by the use of makeup and it just adds to the scene. Can you tell us a little bit about the prosthetics Ryan Reynolds wears during the high school scene? It's funny, there's a lot of... Uh sort of funny comedy makeup moments in, yeah. that, in addition to the, of course, the big one being the, the, the Ron Reynolds fat makeup, like the, that became a popular thing. But basically, um, uh, I had, uh, a, there's a shop in town, WCT Productions, mm -hmm. Bill Terazakis owns and runs that shop. Yeah. And uh, we had them come on to uh, design uh, and, and apply that makeup with Patricia Murray. Uh, oh. I was the department head on the film. Uh, I would have loved to have been involved in some of the application. But it was like, you know, when you have a huge cast, you can't suddenly be pulled away doing, mm -hmm. doing three-hour makeups and whatnot. Now, normally, those big makeups, a single wraparound appliance, are usually done in foam latex. It's lightweight mm -hmm. and uh, paints up uh, a little harder to paint, but it works out really well. And Bill had this idea of making it a gelatin. And as you know, gelatin's a much heavier material. So if you've got a giant sort of cheeks, neck, wraparound appliance, on the face, it yeah. might pull down the face, mm -hmm. it might sag the eyes. But he was like, you know, this is going to be great because you guys are shooting in Regina, Saskatchewan. And it was literally 50 below zero about <laughs> half the time we were there. It's like, it was, I've never experienced that kind of cold in my life, and I'm from Alberta. <laughs> and so he thought, gelatin won't have a problem with the temperature. And um, we're going to talk to the costume designer in LA and say, when you're making the the sort of fat suit to make them look bigger. Um, don't make it out of the heavy poly foams and things. Make it out of like uh, air conditioning sponges. You know, like we use black stipple sponges, yeah. which, mm -hmm. you know, they full of, like make it out of that, which is lightweight. It'll breathe so you won't sweat because we're making the appliances out of gelatin and we want to make sure this is going to work out well. So I was a little dubious and uh, we all learned a bit of a lesson on that one because um, it was, it sort of worked against us in the sense that when actors are working on a winter picture, um, if they're uh, shooting uh, and it's cold or whatever, great. But when they're not shooting outside or something like that, they go into like a car with a giant heavy mm. coat mm -hmm. to get warm, stay warm between the shots. 
which of course they might sweat, yeah. or they're inside uh, a small, we were shooting at actual houses instead of sets. So that's smaller, heat's cranked up, there's a lot of people in the house. So the heat became an issue for Bill and Patricia where um, they were continually having to do far more repairs mm -hmm. uh, along the edges uh, and coloration repairs too because, uh, you know, there's the real skin, Ryan's forehead and nose and part of his chin and then there's the appliance and having the color shift and not always match depending on the lighting or if he was sweating or he was sweating a lot because this fat suit we talked about, they didn't take our suggestions and make it out of lightweight sponges. They made it the typical way with heavy polyfoam. Mm. So with that, with a wig, and with, you know, these heated cars and when you're shooting outside, so it just worked against the makeup. And so, you know, it's one of those things. It's a comedy. It was funny. Uh, Ryan loved it and, and worked, that, worked that makeup really, really well. Mm -hmm. But that was a... You know, that was, uh, in retrospect, I don't think anybody would go back to doing that in gelatin again. I would have never, conditions. I would have never guessed that that was done in gelatin. I would have. No. I mean, the bonus is that it probably was a lot cheaper on production, having that made. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, exactly. Bill Terrazakis, same guy, same shop. He was doing one of the Twilight movies, I think it was New Moon, and creating these age makeups for some of the cast. Mm. And, um... They, had, they were going to do them in silicone. Most people do age makeups these days in silicone if yeah. they have the budget. Mm -hmm. And then after they sculpted, made the molds, they were said, stop, the producers stopped them. What's going on? Uh, your budget's been cut in your department. And then this happens in pre-production even, mm -hmm. where they, every week they'll say your budget's different than what yeah. you thought it was. And it got to the point where they had to make all the pieces in gelatin because wow. they lost that much of their budget. Wow. But, you know, it's great. It can be done. It's, it's, it's a great product to know about. And that's how they did it. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, so also Anna Ferris is in that movie, and there's uh, this is my favorite scene in the whole movie. <laughs> I love Anna Ferris, and she's just like, so funny in this toothpaste. Scene. Yeah, she seems like amazing. And um, so for context about the scene we're talking about, Anna Ferris has bumped her head and may have been given too many painkillers, making her a bit loopy. And Ryan Reynolds' character finds her eating a tube of toothpaste which has made its way across her entire lower part of her face. How, how was that day on set for you guys? How did you kind of create that? That was, that was a lot of fun. There's a whole little story to that, of course, and that you, you may have heard me talk about in, in some of your former classes. Did you take notes? But, um, it's, uh, but, I, but you know, I love telling you, Anna Ferris is, is a comedy treasure. And I, I worked with her on her first big movie, which was the original Scary Movie. Yes. And... Um, that was uh, a great, she's from Washington State. She's from Edmonds, Washington. So she ah, oh, it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how that sort of stuff happens. But I, I, she's one of the funniest, it, the, probably the funniest actress I've ever worked with. She comes prepared. She's an absolute sweetheart. And I think she almost, I think she stole that movie. Like everybody's really good in that movie. Ryan Slayer's. She is extra hilarious. I mm -hmm. just don't know what it is. So we had these fun looks for her and whatnot, but the idea of having her character bump her head, break down, then they find her with like a big pack of ice strapped to her head because she's, you know, and then she's supposed to be on Vicodin, and I think they yeah. give her Vicodin for the pain, and she's eating a tube of toothpaste. Well, when you read that in a script, um, that's a crossover area. In other words, uh, toothpaste in a movie is a prop. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a prop. However, if it's applied to skin, it's kind of maybe it's a makeup. Mm -hmm. But if it's edible, we go back to maybe it being a prop or it's a makeup or these things have to be discussed in production meetings. And, and I had discussed with the props master in that show, are you doing something like what are you doing for the toothpaste thing? Like sometimes they will get tubes and have some sort of edible product because mm -hmm. they do food. Mm -hmm. does food and they said oh yeah we got that all taken care of and I was like great and so six weeks later it's the day we're shooting and um, I said so can I get a tube of that toothpaste the, the, the stuff you have so that I can you know be dressing it on her face or whatnot and we'll see how the scene plays out and he said yeah and he handed me a tube of Crest toothpaste oh no <laughs> and, and it was an actual it was just real toothpaste and I'm like oh well, we we talked about this is She's got to eat this stuff. You know, if you're putting toothpaste in your mouth and shooting for a whole day, you're going to burn your mouth. Like, your skin's going to come off your tongue. It's like, and and he was, like, completely blank. Completely like, I don't know, that's, that's what I got. I bought some Crest. 
So oh. I don't think you understood the first conversation we had. Yeah. So I ran back to the trailer, and there's a great product you're probably familiar with called Ultra Ice. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a heavy, clear gel. I learned this trick years earlier from making, uh, from doing shaving scenes. You're doing a shaving scene, and an actor's got shaving cream. Shaving cream vanishes after a few minutes, and your mm-hmm. continuity is a nightmare. And uh, so when you're shooting all day a shaving scene, it's always, if you watch older movies, like it's just a nightmare. But you can actually mix colors into Ultra Ice and make it look like shaving cream. And it's not going to melt or vanish, and you're going to have perfect continuity. So um, I grabbed some Ultra Ice and some some makeup colors to make it look like Crest toothpaste. <laughs> and so that is what I could sort of dress on her face. And then she did a number of takes where she actually had Crest toothpaste in her mouth, foamed and bubbled out. She's spilling it all over his face. We didn't do that many takes of that. And then literally, as a makeup artist, you've got cups of water. And mm-hmm. yes. after the mm-hmm. take, they're rinsing and they're spitting. And so their mouth isn't getting burned. And that's kind of how we handled the scene. Oh, cool, cool. I like that. Yeah, I really like the Ultra Slime as well, that brand. It's so good. And yeah, you just retelling that story. I just got like transported back to being in class. And I remember you talking about the shaving and I, the continuity of that. I just like, uh, yeah. did a whole flashback in yeah, my Yeah, I actually think that in one of your lessons, you show the continuity photos from that scene. You show her like standing there with her hands up and everything. No, exactly. You know, that's one of those movies I have to watch like once a year because it is, it's so funny and it holds yeah. up so well. Such a great experience too. I mean, I've worked with Anna before. I've worked with um, Amy Smart before, mm. uh, which is uh, such a great thing. And when, we, when they came in, the first day when I got there, we met at their hotel in pre-production and they were in the director's suite. And I've never worked with this director, Roger Cumble. And so he's watching me come in and the girls, like the actresses, ah, stand in. We reunion and we had this great time. And he was sort of trying to establish some rapport with his actresses, right? And here I'm stealing all the attention. But he ended up being an amazing director. I mean, he was just, had a, such a great set. He was such a good director of comedy. Mm. And then, of course, Ryan coming in. Like, mm-hmm. it was such a relaxed set and everybody just hit the notes. It was an amazing experience except for the 50 below zero part. Yes, fair enough. You've had a lot of, uh, you've worked with a lot of really impressive cast and like iRobot again, like working with Will Smith. I remember you, there was that scene where Will had hit, you were telling us about an experience you had working on that with um, Will Smith's personal had gone to the bathroom and he was really shiny and you were like, oh, can I just jump in and blot you if that's okay and I remember you, he was just like a really funny guy to work with and you had this interaction with him and he was like I don't mind but my personal makeup artist might or something <laughs> don't, don't you love the fact that like there's people like him that are really uh, loyal to their people I mean mm-hmm. Will came with a big entourage I was department head so I mean I was helping supervise casting his arm and stuff like that that the effect shop again Bill Terzakis WCTA uh, did but Judy that was her stylist, name. Or rather, his makeup artist. She, she was amazing. And she'd been with him a long time. And she's still with him when he does stuff. And yeah, exactly. They're about to shoot a close-up. And Judy's not around. And he's got a real shiny nose. <laughs> and the makeup bag's sitting right there. Now, some people would really get offended or like, why did you do that? Or, But the fact is, Judy was fine with it. We talked there. But, but Will was like, not sure. You know, like, I don't know how Judy's going to feel. So, listen, they're about to shoot the rolling... I can take some shine down in your nose, right? Okay, and you know, we did that. and It was just, became a funny story afterwards. But I have to say, you know, Will was uh, also a producer on iRobot, and that was a really uh, difficult production in many ways. Mm. Political production, if you've watched Alex Preuss, the director, now tells a lot of stories on his own YouTube channel about that. But Will was a producer and kept the mood on set amazing. We called him Mr. Sunshine. I mean, he was absolutely a professional and a total sweetheart, funny and bright. And man, he just kept everybody going. It makes a big difference when you when you work with cast that that do bring that kind of energy in there. And you and spend so much time with them, and you're so close to them all the time. So it's nice when you guys get along. And I completely understand as well why um, actors or directors like working with the same makeup artist and rehiring them because once you have that bond and that communication and understanding of each other it just makes the whole process of new production so much easier mm-hmm. absolutely it's a shorthand although it's it's more and more of a rarity all the time yeah having a personal makeup artist and, and you know that the majority of people who have personals seem to be the male actors which is oh, interesting that's a, yeah it used to be the opposite 
Yeah, yeah actually. That's interesting. You know, like James Bond, Daniel Craig, for example, who has a Canadian makeup artist, by the way. He Donald, does. Uh, yeah. Donald Bowett. Yes, actually, yeah. we, I, we just covered, I did uh, Nocturnal Animals and a breakdown on that. And yeah, I talked very much about Mowat and how he'd worked with Daniel Craig for ages and has had that repertoire. And he's just gone on to do Dune and he had to leave the wow. Bond franchise. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was him, his relationship, he was in this interview I was watching with him, um, he had to basically say, like, Daniel Craig, I've got this opportunity and I'm really sorry, like, do you mind if I leave to do Dune? And what's really hard, he said it was like a breakup almost. <laughs> and Daniel Craig yeah. is like, yeah, that's fine. Like, he was Go like, do why, that. why wouldn't you do Dune? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So You know, a, a cynical person might say, well, you know, Probably Daniel Craig's last Bond film, they've done it. It hasn't been released yet, but, uh, you know, maybe Daniel's not going to be working a lot after, who knows, and uh, take the opportunity. It's kind of a smart decision <laughs> in a way, but they had a very good relationship. And, of course, you know, Donald, uh, I, I, he's one of the career makeup artists that I envy because of the projects he's been on. And he used to do Mark Wahlberg's films and things like that, which, by the way, Howard Berger is now Mark Wahlberg's uh, makeup artist, which oh. is interesting. You know, he's big major effect shop guy, Oscar winner, but he's now branched out into doing production makeup more and a personal for Mark Wahlberg in the last few years. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. That is really interesting. Going back to VFS, obviously you mentioned that you now teach and are the head of the makeup department there. What's your biggest piece of advice to people who are looking to join makeup and aren't really sure? Well, uh, if, again, if you're looking to join like a makeup program, which is quite like there's, there's two sort of topics about are you looking to join a makeup program or, or people that are looking to go into the industry, two different things, but mm-hmm. the advice is really similar. Uh, you want to you want to talk to professionals. You want to find out people who do this professionally and see if they will uh, chat with you and give you some advice and not just one or two. You want to sort of get some 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 opinions about um, about schools you also want to talk to people maybe who've been to schools. You know, if that pre-COVID, we, we would have people come in doing audits mm-hmm. uh, in class. And you could sit in on a class and they don't have to talk to me or an, an admissions advisor. They can be seeing what's going on and talking to you, the students. And I think that that's a, a very meaningful way to uh, sort of educate yourself about schools. You want to find out uh, a, a lot of different things that way. So talking to the professionals. Also, what I tell people is if you're thinking of going to makeup school, start practicing some portrait photography, mm. taking pictures in indoor and outdoor lighting because we have to photograph our own portfolio so often talk about that. I recommend some of the books I was talking about to uh, folks like that. And these days I tell uh, students who are coming to the program or are considering any, any program, start watching movies that were made before 1980. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because... Uh, a lot of folks really don't have a lot of movies they've watched before 1980, and they and they hate watching black and white. And you know, like the majority of the greatest films of the 20th century were black and white. Whether it's Citizen Kane and going right up to 1980 with Raging Bull, you know, yeah. with Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull and Tadaro. I mean, there's a they don't make many black and white films anymore, but the films themselves are great. And um, you want to sort of it, we speak a shorthand. And, and mm-hmm. you're talking to directors and producers, they reference everything according to other actors, other movies, other directors, and you want to know that vocabulary as you start to get into the industry. It's very true. It is so true. And honestly, I think I'm very guilty of that. I joined makeup school, obviously having an interest in makeup, and it was only until my instructors were like naming off all these amazing directors and films, and I was like, oh, I don't watch films. Like I do, but I I actually don't. And Mm -hmm. it was because of you and other instructors suggesting so many different films. And like you said, before like 1980, it actually sparked my interest in like filmmaking and more of like, as a makeup artist, what can you bring and be a part of that team? Mm -hmm. And not thinking like solo track, like makeup is, this is it being like, oh, I'm part of a huge creative experience and you need you you have to talk the talk and you need to understand what other people are referencing and you have to be a lover of film mm-hmm. as well as your own department. 
You will do your job better. You will do mm-hmm. your job better as a makeup artist when you understand other people's jobs. It becomes fascinating. When you understand what your part is in the whole, uh, that, that's a really wonderful thing. I mean, we work so closely with hairstylists mm-hmm. and with wardrobe. We're like the little trio and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you also want to be understand. You can, like camera guys, cinematographers are, and camera operators are happy to teach other crew people a lot of things you'll learn a lot about lighting because that affects everything about how your makeup is going to look and so over the years i've still worked with people who've been in the industry 20 30 40 years and they come in they do their makeup and they're not really interested in anybody else's job i don't understand that because it's fascinating and you really can do your job better when you understand the art director and the production designer and, and what they do and have relationships with them it is such a collaborative art form film yeah. And yeah, I agree. Like even working with some designers, I've noticed once they have a rapport with Cine Team, they'll they'll give you more. If you pay interest Definitely. to other yeah. departments and you can, you know, communicate with them and res- and they can see that you respect and you know their job, they'll um they'll do more for you. They'll I- help you with things and they'll like sometimes be a bit of a saving grace if you need them to be because you know what their job is. Yeah. And Absolutely. that's something as well that Vancouver Film School did is that we had these term tests and we had to learn the different job titles of mm-hmm. people on crew. And I remember speaking to my partner about that's what we had to learn. And I knew all these like people's jobs in film because we had to learn them for school because they were part of the crew and knowing what like a lamp op is and a, a gen grip. operator mm-hmm. and a second AC. And he was so amazed because he didn't get taught that and he was in a different mm. department and he mm. was like, I should have been taught that. Like, why? That makes so much sense. Yeah. Why didn't I get that education? And I was just like, because <laughs> we have a really good <laughs> it, program. It really is such a collaborative art. I think I was um, working last summer and I actually became friends with the focus puller on the set and I was tell- talking to him and I was in the makeup department and everything and we actually developed a really good... Really, he's an older guy, and he was like, do you want to try focus pulling? Like, do you want to try and pull the focus for the scene? So oh, he, really? Yeah, so he let me try it. And this was like a bigger production. I was like, oh, I don't think I should. And he was like, no, no, really. Like, I'm, I'm Van I, Helsing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, no, no, really. It's fine. No one's going to care. So he, like, showed me how to do it. And then um, and then he'd always save me a seat beside his monitor when it, things would get busy and I couldn't see or whatever. He'd be like, oh, come, come, come. You can see my monitor. And so... It really is it's a benefit. So benefits to absolutely. You take an interest in, and, and and they'll give you a lot. I've been so fortunate to work with a lot of you know Oscar-winning DPs and mm-hmm. people who've done huge movies and all these, all the old guys that have done everything. You know, and it's not just lighting. You're learning about lenses, mm-hmm. like you say, focus pulling, and why they're choosing that and how things look. And that's a really a, a great thing to do. You're getting another free education, but it's making you better what you do. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And so, this is a personal question. Do you have a dream franchise, character, or film you would personally love to work on? From past or current? Yeah, anyone. Anything that you're just like, if I could work on that film, that'd be awesome. Wow. Okay, so from past, I'm glad you kind of added that. You know, it's franchise films today. Um, If you were suddenly working on, like, you know, whatever, then the next superhero movie or something there's already established makeups mm-hmm, established mm-hmm. looks that you might not have a lot of input in you're there more as a makeup technician and you really don't have a lot of personal input even in little ways which are kind of nice to have and that's you know i i like any kind of a story um and by the way of course we don't we rarely get to choose what we what we work on mm-hmm, yeah. uh, but i like a story that has something going on with with makeup whether it's it's the character's journey. It's the same reason that actors are drawn to scripts where they see a, a, a significant A to B to C sort of journey of their character and they're able to play a range. And in makeup, you're looking for those things that you can play a range on also, whether it's somebody that ages or there's flashbacks when they're younger mm-hmm. or w- whatever it might be. They, they just totally change in, in their appearance and somehow to, to help tell that story. And um, having said that, uh, those pictures are the ones that are fun and they're a lot of work. And oftentimes you'll get some movie where it's like, oh, this is a movie, it's about a family and their dog that gets lost. And I've worked on a few of those. And you're like, this is going to be like a cakewalk. 
And the weirdest thing is those movies that you think are going to be so straightforward <laughs> suddenly have become the most difficult productions you've ever been on. Problems you couldn't even imagine, you know? And it's so weird how, how, how that happens. I, uh, I remember working years ago with a, a writer on, a, on a, a film that he wrote. And um, then he came back and he got some money and studio backing to direct his own film. And uh, he wanted myself and the hairstylist, because he knew us from this other movie that we did that he wrote, to be on this film. And they sent us the script, and it was this horrible script about, about these uh, high school students who were making porn films after hours in their high school. And I'm like, this is really disgusting. I don't, and we had the production managers phoning us who, who we knew and saying, oh, come on, look, when we read the script, we didn't like it either. I threw it across the room, but you know, there's good people in this movie and it's that. I think it was one of the only one of two or three times that I said, I don't want to work in this. You know, yeah. I, just, I, I, I can't really put my heart into that. It's a really bizarre, I mean, this is nowadays, of course, there's, uh, you would not see that kind of a film uh, getting funded. But this was not that long ago. It was kind of a weird thing. But most of the time, you're, you're looking at what's offered to you. Uh, you're trying to get an interview on things and maybe target certain shows. And you're very lucky if you do get an opportunity to work on something that has makeup, uh, a makeup industry, but also that's a good movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was fortunate mm -hmm. enough to work with uh, Clint Eastwood on, on Unforgiven. Won seven, uh, won four Academy Awards, nominated for seven. Won Best Picture in 1992. Mm. This is like 10 years into my career, and I'm working with some of these Gene Hackman and Clint Eastwood and, and all these great actors that you sort of grow up with on an amazing production that did well. And there was some interesting makeup, and I worked with an, an American makeup artist in that film who had trained in the studios and, and was learning more about, uh, about that from him. That's an amazing thing to have in the resume, but I, I've worked with so many old-time makeup artists who were some of the best I ever worked with, and they said, you know what, kid, I never had a chance to uh, work on an uh, Oscar-winning picture or on this or that. Like, you don't have that kind of total control over your mm -hmm. career yeah. as far as what comes along. And I realized, wow, some of these makeup artists and friends of mine, they, they're amazing, but they've never had those opportunities. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That is very, it, it's true though. It's really what comes into your pathway and mm -hmm. and just turning up and being the best you can and showing your ability on no matter what it is and giving 100% and hoping that the film you thought would be straightforward doesn't become more complex <laughs> during production. Yeah, they, they have a way of doing that though. They always love to throw the curveballs. Yeah. I know we said yeah. that the 50 BG were coming in on Monday, but they're actually going to come in tomorrow. Can you make that work? <laughs> Well, you know, that's what's so funny, because I, I spent about 27 years in, in film sets before coming to Vancouver Film School. And then coming into the school, and, you know, after having those sort of challenges thrown at you and being able to deal with that and, and survive in that, I never, it never threw me. I mean, there's, there's always tense times, but you get really good at handling those situations you're talking about, those challenges. Then suddenly coming to a school environment, frankly, it was kind of like a big downshift uh, not because of uh, makeup-wise, but just because of how how a school runs versus mm -hmm. how a movie set runs. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I can and, see and that. Whether it's bureaucracy or whatever it is. And although I'm very fortunate we get such support uh, from the administration there, it was a big adjustment initially because I was like, okay, we need this and we need it tomorrow. And they're like, uh, well, that's going to take a week or two weeks or <laughs> other departments work from film. And so everything had a slower pace suddenly, which I kind of like now. I mean, yes. I think that used to it. it makes sense for a school not to be running around like a film set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if you've done that for 20, 25 for so long. years. Yeah, yeah your kinda... brain is trained to think like now, now, now. But it's nice to have a yeah. slower, organic, like nicer <laughs> way of living and then still be around students that are people who aren't jaded and so keen to learn. And I heard that a lot, like when we were getting taught by Chrissy Reynolds, um, she was saying that she's so happy. I was, we were one of the first classes to get her and be taught by her, who's such a beautiful artist. And she was saying that the reason she got into teaching is that she yeah. just wanted to be around people that wanted to work and be in makeup and were just so inspired. And she was okay to take that more, those relaxed like teaching days because she could be around like this energy of wanting, people wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. Chrissy thrives on that. Chrissy's amazing. I mean, she's she's a unique beast. I don't know anybody like her. No. I mean, she's on our very first 
year of the makeup program. She did then about 13 years in the industry. She's now uh, on huge movies, mm -hmm. and she does everything, and she does it well. She's now our main prosthetics instructor. So she teaches sculpting, molding, and uh, about half of the application work we do. And uh, she has elevated those classes uh, since she's come back. It's just like it's better than ever. She likes to, she still works in the shop and she wanted to not just be in the shop. Uh, that's a good environment. She does that. She's like the most sought after person, but she'll also divide her time teaching with us. And she does her own personal artwork. Mm -hmm. And so for her, it was like finding a balance. Like after you're in the industry 10 or so years, after you've had uh, a certain amount of big experiences professionally with big name projects and A-list studio films and people, you don't feel like you've got a lot to prove. You've experienced that, so now you maybe want to expand that experience. And for her, it was coming back to us. And I actually have two instructors. There's another one, Leah Cuff, who was mm -hmm. a graduate from about 10 years ago, who, who um, uh, has been with us now also uh, as a part-time teacher. Yeah, we both worked with Leah mm -hmm. as well on a few yeah, productions. Yeah, she's awesome. She's yeah, awesome. she's lovely. As I was with her today uh, and with Amy Van Warmer, one of our instructors. Amy yes. And, uh, we actually just shot a video today before coming and talking to you of um, a tooth staining demo. I've been making like a lot of uh, HD videos because we can't right now have an outside model come in and there's mm -hmm. a whole issue with the tooth stain and COVID. So we're actually shooting certain videos as uh, demos. And they're actually really, really good because students can watch those and then work on themselves or, or whatever it is. Yeah, it's a great way to pivot. I'm, I'm sure trying to learn how to be a makeup artist in a COVID world is, I, it's not a great combo, I'm sure. So. No, but I tell the, I tell the students, it's like there's an industry. The industry is active right now. Yes. And yeah. we're looking at what they're doing. We're looking at what BC Health is telling us, you know, that the health authorities work safe BC. And so you're training this way, and it might not be the school experience you thought it was, but we are back. That's the program's going forward, and now you're ready for entering the industry the way they're working. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, Vancouver is so busy and we're so we were so fortunate to graduate at such a busy time and it's definitely out there. Yeah, like you said the schooling might not be the same but the industry is very busy. We're mm -hmm. very grateful for that. It's been so nice talking to you, Stan. We just before we go, we always like to kind of close out our episodes with we talk about like a product of the week or a product that we're trying that we really like. Do you have any products right now that you found that you're like, "Wow, this is amazing." <laughs> well, as you as you might remember, I love um, multi-purpose products. In yes. other words, products that don't just do one thing. Mm -hmm. You can do like ten things with them. Like, and I always give the example of uh, Revlon Color Stay uh, or, or the Mac Studio Fix Fluid Foundation because they're so good. they're great for uh, all kinds of things. We use them as tattoo cover. We can make airbrush foundations, mm -hmm. body yes. makeup. But I discovered uh, it's been around. But if you're familiar with EBA. Mm -hmm. um, European Body Art makes a, a, a cream makeup called Evo, E-V-O. And uh, we were using this in the last couple of years because it's a different kind of cream makeup. There's tons of cream makeups out there. This one, I'm not sure of the formulation, but it kind of has really, you can do subtle coverage or strong coverage, and it dries to a dry finish. Mm. And if you're doing, a, say, a prosthetic makeup or a bald cap, and you're using packs or alcohol paints, you can actually overlap it with this to tie into a facial foundation or face oh, coloring nice. seamlessly ah. and it's really really good and uh, the the only drawback is it, it apparently has a, it will dry out and has a somewhat shorter shelf life mm -hmm. the evo cream makeups that eva makes that's that's to me is a pretty exciting product oh awesome that's really good to know and also i would just really like to ask this one too. Can you share a favorite on set or in class moment? And I know that you've had a very long, amazing career, so I know that might be hard just to like channel that into one story. But is there anything that stands out for you? Long, long and amazing. In other words, I'm old. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what that question was about. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, there's, there's so many crazy moments and stuff like that that happen and uh, and that do make it sort of hard to think of one you know it's like I, I remember once I did two movies you might recall with Sylvester Stallone and and I learned how to use a bullwhip how to whip crack from a stuntman friend of mine things like that and uh we were out there sort of on you know out on the studio lot between shots and I was 
whip cracking and kind of having fun with a couple of guys. And uh, Sylvester Stallone comes walking by and happens to see us doing this. And he walks over and says, oh, let me see that. He takes it. I'm thinking, in my mind, it's like, oh, great. Now we've got the star of the show grabbing a whip and he's going to like take his eye out or something. Right? <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm going to be the guy who was responsible. Who gave him the whip that took his eye out? <laughs> uh, anyway, he stands back and starts like cracking this thing like you've never seen. I don't know that he's ever done that in a movie, but it was like un- which our mouths dropped. We were like, wow, okay, so I guess we didn't have to worry. <laughs> you're a pro. When you're in, in the business, the most meaningful things, I think, often come from um, actors that you might have grown up watching or, or uh, actors of experience and of great caliber. And So if you, if you get a compliment from uh, a really top actor uh, who knows their game, that's meaningful because they've worked with everybody, especially mm-hmm. the older actors. They've worked with all other makeup artists. and, and uh, Or if you get a compliment from a, a well-known cinematographer, they don't bullshit anybody, right? No, so yeah, that, good point. Those are meaningful sort of moments uh, that can happen. But I have to say, my greatest moments, certainly in the last 14 years, that have been even more satisfying than perhaps what I experienced in a lot of my career, are watching alumni like, like you two. Uh, as you go out into the industry and are starting to work and have these experiences and grow and develop with these amazing professionals, that is enormously satisfying for me. And, uh, you know, like where we're situated at the school, I'll come out and suddenly there'll be like a film set, as you know, downtown shooting. Mm-hmm. And there's like a bunch of our, you know, graduates from years gone by. And there they are running departments and, and doing these things. And um, that's exciting. That, that's my best moments. And I think that, you know, works both ways because so many people that we've met who have gone to Vancouver Film School and and have had you as an instructor, I I think you'd agree there's this consensus of like wanting to make you proud Yeah, and being like, oh, I talked to Stan and he came by the studio. Oh, Stan. So it works both ways. It's like, yeah, like it must be wonderful for you to see, but it's also wonderful for us as alumni to present that and achieve things and be making those steps to, you know. It's also crazy how many makeup artists that you meet have gone to VFS. There's so many times I've been on set and someone's be like, where did you go to school? And you're like, VFS. And then you're like, you? Same. Yeah. What I, class were you? Yeah, what number? Like, what year did you go to? Mm-hmm. Who were your teachers? And I <laughs> just like bond over it instantly. Yeah. And we've been in a lot of trailers as well where, you know, there's six, seven people and they're all VFS graduates. Yeah. And it's a whole Yeah. It's happened full. a lot where you're well, like, wow. Well, you, know, you, re- you realize that's always been my master plan. <laughs> it's all so coming we, together. We can dominate the industry. And once we're even more dominant in the industry, some of you guys will hire me in my retirement. So, I mean, that's, that's where the <laughs> Oh, that's like the grand plan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah. We'll make note of that. <laughs> uh, well, Stan, it's been so, so nice catching up with you and talking to you. We really appreciate you spending your Saturday afternoon letting us ask you a bunch of questions and picking your brain. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been so amazing to hear more of your career stories and just seeing your face on Zoom. <laughs> You guys, too. Thank you for having me. We have to do this again, and as soon as we can do this in person, let's do it. Yes, absolutely. That would be wonderful. So, yeah, thank you so much. This has been Stan Edmonds on Blush and Stuff Trailer Talk Episode 2. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>